0: The Olympic wash-up.
1: Right, okay. So, um, Broken Thoughts by Broken Alls. And we are discussing, because yesterday, Jack Beaumont flew all the way back from Tokyo just to hand out prizes at Henley Town Visitors, which is a great regatta, but I wasn't there, Aaron. Where was I?
0: You were climbing Chunga. No, I was rowing on the sea. And with that, our partnership and friendship, which has been going on for over a decade, ends. I am really sorry it had to end this way. I've always liked you as a person. I've always admired you as an athlete and an individual. And I've always treasured our friendship. But frankly, no, that is just wrong.
1: It's it's really not that bad. It's quite good fun. It's very hard to get your head round as a water rower. The similarities are obvious. Basically, you're in a four-man boat. You're doing exactly the same thing. It's Cops Fall. Okay. It's a 2K race. It just takes place over a 1,000-meter course. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And and the 1,000-meter course happens to be on the sea. And so you start, and the start, if you thought, okay, literally, you know novice eight at Met Regatta in no at Wallingford Regatta in uh in April yes when it's like it's really blowing a gale
0: in there
1: that's every start because there are no start lines it's just like basically the guy in the tent on the shore kind of giving it a chinny wreck and yeah you're all in like okay go
0: To be fair, most of my starts, you know, throughout what I'm laughingly calling my rowing career uh, were were similar to what you are describing. But this is just this is just wrong. This is this is, you know, rowing is is cucumber sandwiches, tea in fine china, people in straw boaters with blazer, flat water, still air, murmurs of appreciation, well, well rowed, whoever. This idea of rowing on the briny deep where where mermaids lurk on rocks to lure passing oarsmen to their deaths is just, it's just, it's just wrong. I mean, I I, I can't believe that Jack, having won an Olympic silver medal, flew all the way back to hand medals out knowing that you were going and then you didn't bother going. I mean, fair play to Jack. He has always been a club man and he is literally proving it as we speak. But it's wrong. I mean, were there any mermaids? Were, were, was there a chance of you being lured to your death in the briny deep?
1: Not really. It's deal. It's not that deep. Oh,
0: so, okay.
1: And and there's a pier and they're like safety boats and everything. It's like a normal regatta just on the sea with very, very heavy boats that don't go that fast. So a bit like most of my careers in Cox Falls. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's, the comparison between road biking and mountain biking, or possibly even between riding around the, you know, millimeter smooth surface of a velodrome and mountain biking is kind of apt. Right. You you just, if you're absolutely caning it down a track on a mountain bike, you know, forget all this stuff that you see like the pros doing. It's like, hooking their bike into the air and flicking the tail out and sort of like twisting the handle. You don't do that. You just like, you just go and you pray that the tires are big enough and bouncy enough to get you over the the bobbles and the tree roots. And sometimes they're not. Um, And it's a bit like that. You've just got to go and pray that basically the waves that you can see out of the corner of your eye coming in, which would literally swamp a Coxless Four. It was just like, no, we're just gonna sink and it's just gonna come over us. That they're not gonna do that to you and they don't. And you've just got to wave the oar around in the desperate hope of hitting the water. And then when you do it, you've got to pull on it. And then you've got to do it in time with three other people and you know, there is there is an enjoyable degree of chaos about it. There's an unenjoyable degree of coming third. But here's the best thing about coastal rowing that you need to remember. It's in a league
0: so of its so. own.
1: In East Kent, where I live, there are about seven, eight coastal rowing clubs. And we go out into Sussex as well. So we've got Hastings and Betts Hill, and we all, they all sort of have like round robins racing each other in different boat categories. And even if you come second or third, you still get points. And those points count towards prizes. Now, can you imagine how much fun that could be in river rowing, if we did it that way,
0: I'm seeing what what the attraction is for you. I mean, you you are you know as as John Lewis used to be a, a chain that was never knowingly undersold. You are a man who has never knowingly passed up the chance of competition or winning something. Um, but yes, I can I can see your point with regards to that. But I I I feel that I have to ask as as your your partner in pod as as your pip and as a man who, who, despite coming from the North, likes occasionally to think of himself as, as your moral compass, although Christ knows why, um, are you doing this because you've realised that British rowing is about to have its funding pulled after its recent performance, and there might be a shot for you at the Olympics in coastal rowing?
1: No. No, seriously, I'm, I'm not that good. I, I also think, as much as at deal yesterday at deal regatta there was a there were plenty of old men i think i think coastal rowing is actually a sport that makes you grow old faster there is a lot of salt water you
0: do oh right is it (laughs) is it is it it rusting your joints
1: you carry the boat out until it's about waist deep then you jump in and you kind of get your bum on the seat or maybe you just fall into the boat as i do um and then you just you know, and you're being thrown left and right. And it's it's not nice for your back. It, it's not it's not this like, get out there and just put the work on. You, you've actually got to be quite careful with your body. Nota- notably at the end of it, my legs weren't really tired. It was like, it was my arms and my back um, and my sides that, you know, I was basically rowing. Coastal rowing makes river rowers row badly.
0: To be fair, I mean, the fact that, you know, you have never, ever been accused of, of simply using your massive upper body strength in a rowing stroke before. No coach has ever leveled that accusation at you. And I'd just like you to tell the, the listeners, if, if we have any left, and let's be honest, at this stage of the game, it's doubtful. Just remind us what your first degree was in. I'm sure it was some form of science, was it?
1: Biotechnology.
0: And yet you, you are coming on here and declaring to the world that salt water is making you rusty.
1: <laughs> a little bit. It, I wouldn't say, it's not making me rusty because rust, as a chemistry teacher, I can tell you that rust is only something that happens to metallic iron. No, the salt water is just dissolving me. Right. I, I, I believe that, it's like particularly when you're rowing on it, human beings become slightly soluble in salt water. It's very good for your skin, though.
0: It is very good for your skin. And your skin and, skin. and you're, you are actually doubling down and denying the idea that you are a cyborg sent back from the future to teach us all how to be competitive and to pull on and on to our 40s and 50s. I, I,
1: am, I am denying that idea. Um, I... Genuinely, it's a tough sport. It's a tough sport. And I was schooled by two 17-year-olds in that particular race who are better at it and properly fit, you know. And this is something that we're going to discuss, I hope, later in this recording, is what happens when you get someone who is 25 kilograms lighter than you But not as powerful as you on the ergo. How much difference can that make on the water when you combine it with skill? Because that's a very, very interesting thing to discuss when we're thinking about the recent men's single skulls result.
0: Because we are having this conversation out of step with our usual broadcast sequence, and this will be an unedited one, so I'm afraid, dear listener, that I will not be taking out all of the bits where we scramble for our notes and just laugh at each other because we've said something silly. Um, we are going to talk about... Keep the... talking,
1: I'm scrambling for my notes, Evan.
0: Well done, I will keep talking. Um, we are going to talk about the Olympic regatta. We're going to talk a little bit about... Um, great britain's uh results at the olympic regatta and the reason that we're doing this is because a lot of very very highly qualified voices have 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 weighed in and thrown opinions around and because we are not qualified at all and have never wrote at that level we've decided what the hell we will throw in our two pennyworth, and I we're going to talk about
1: it's basically our job isn't
0: it i it mean is. that
1: that's we are the people who have officially positioned ourselves outside of the tent door and have dropped trowel and are drinking a lot of isotonic beverages in order to direct the flow inwards
0: yes Um, but to be fair we have to say that we know that you you um dear listeners are familiar with the fact that we are somewhat snarky. We can be occasionally sarcastic. We have on occasion been flippant and facetious and a host of other words that we can't spell, but we're going to play this one seriously. So we're we're going to start Lou. And I think by asking the question that no one, Matt Pinson, James Cracknell, Steve Redgrave, The Telegraph, every commentator in the world has failed to ask. And it's really serious. um, Did we fail to win anything because we have no gingers in the boats or in the squad?
1: Look, Okay, you, you go back. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say you go back to Athens. Okay, that was, that was the last time we won anything without ginger. Up, up at, After Athens, Beijing, we had the Red Express. London, we, we had a boat full of gingers didn't we? We, 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 had, we had, again, we had Satch and Nash. They won b- bronze. There were also men who would definitely be described as ruddy in the eight. Um, I would say Alex Gregory, double Olympic gold medalist, is strawberry bl- blonde. Um, triple Olympic gold medalist, stalwart of British rowing, and London youth rowing, um, Hodgy, he's got ginger sideburns. This is going to be. A... And I'm sorry. When I look at the boat now, no gingers.
0: Well, this is a really short podcast then, because basically we just parachuted ginger into the squad before Paris, and and we're back where we should be. A decent ginger.
1: Can't can't just be any sort of.
0: We can't just land... run. We can't just pull a ginger in off the street and throw him into the squad and stick no, him in one no, it,
1: it has to or be a highly trained, sporty ginger, but provided we get a decent ginger, we'll be all right.
0: We'll be fine. OK, I I I can. I mean, Alex Gregory, silky, uh, as well as strawberry blonde. Uh, Andy Hodge, yes, he does actually have, have reddish um, mutton chops. Uh, bless him. Um, I think we may have hit on something. No gingers, no golds.
1: Okay, everybody has talked about, like, when you you look at, like, the representations and the balances of different categories of people, different demographics in various aspects of British sport, in football, in rugby, cricket, Olympic sport, and you all... What people don't really recognise is the huge disproportionate overrepresentation of gingers in british olympic sport and okay right here's a perfect example the most successful um in fact the who has just become the most decorated olympic athlete for britain of any single games in the pool uh, he won the 200 meters freestyle he won the four by 200 meters freestyle he won the mixed medley relay and he's got silver in the medley relay and i've forgotten his name um but he's ginger there is an overrepresentation. britain needs gingers at the olympics and you don't have enough gingers yeah you, you're you sunk
0: are you saying that that ginger is some kind of a of, of magnetic attractor for gold medals
1: I'm saying gingers have had to learn to fight since they were very young and and it pays off sooner or later.
0: And now that we've pissed off every single ginger who listens to us uh, and I, I, Literally. I speak,
1: Literally.
0: I, speak <laughs> yeah, I, I speak as a man who, who who tends to go Viking ruddy in the in the in the sunshine. To come back to to a slightly more um, people oh,
1: people think I'm like having a go at gingers about this. I'm not. I'm deadly serious. Okay, there is a profound overrepresentation of gingers in British Olympic sport. For it's something that I don't think we should ignore. I'd like to see proper scientists, unlike me, get in there and find out. I mean, some people have actually said there is there is an association between having red hair and having a certain type, I think it's a certain type of nerve fiber. Right. There's a very, very fast firing nerve fiber. So essentially what you can do is um, you can open the taps on more of your muscles all at once. So gingers are better at uh, muscle recruitment.
0: Does this have anything to do with the with the myth of the fiery Celtic red-headed man and woman?
1: Probably, yeah. Or
0: possibly, possibly
1: yes. The only gingers who are alive today are the descendants of people who could win a lot of fights in the playground.
0: Fair enough. Okay, so point one British rowing, if you're listening, and, and we know that you pretend to, but you don't really. Uh, Get more gingers in the squad and you'll be fine. Point number two, um, some would say semi-seriously coming back from the ginger thing, but you don't know Lewin like I do. He genuinely believed that there is a link here. He wants science to prove this. So let's leave that one there. Let's let's leave that one with get more gingers in and we will be fine. Now, everyone's had an opinion. Um, I think that on Twitter, you and I have pushed back against some of the more odious nonsense that we've heard. But let's work through these some of the points that have floated up through the social media sphere and also in the mainstream press and also in commentary. You have your hand up, sir. Do you need the toilet?
1: I'm, I'm going to say that possibly I may have been responsible for some of the more odious commentary. And I'm going to, at this moment, say that I have responded with more undisciplined cynicism that my own rules should allow when i have seen unexpected results and i haven't been thoughtful and i've used twitter and i've flown off the handle and i have casted aspersions upon the honesty of athletes that i shouldn't have despite the fact that i think their performances raise some very very interesting questions so i'm 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 going to say that I have not been as nuanced as I should have, and I should probably go and delete a load of tweets.
0: But Um, you you have been fairly nuanced with regards to some of the nonsense that's been talked about British rowing and British rowers. So let's come to the first question. Everyone said, basically, or a huge proportion of people have said, Jürgen left, therefore that's why we lost. Is it all Jürgen's fault, Lewin? Is this true? Would we have swept the board again with Jürgen in place
1: Well, I think it. I think it's a bit hard to say that it's like it's Jurgen's fault because he retired at the age of seventy-one. How dare he? You arrest. Um, Okay, so my thoughts on this are that if so, Jurgen Grobler has been head coach British Rowing for sixteen years now. So he, I, I, think, I think he took over the head coach role as opposed to being coach of the top men's boat and then the men's squad. I think he took that over in 2004. Um, and you need to also remember that 2004 was not a great year for us. I think we had two medals, one gold, um, and one gold by the skin of our teeth. Um, and really, you could have flicked a coin and have gone the other way. Um, and it was after that, and we also then started to see like the bolus of investment and personnel coming in in the preparation for the 2012 Olympic Games. So in 16, engages brain 17 years, if the only thing that we've had is Jurgen that's the only reason we've been winning medals we have wasted a hell of a lot of money um on not having a system in place not having athlete recruitment and retention not having talent development because we've had Jurgen and to say that the back two years of a five-year Olympiad, the only reason why we haven't done as well as we have is because Jürgen wasn't there for two years when he was there for three years. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I don't think you can support that with any... You know, cultures have inertia. Cultures, you know, processes and practices has inertia. I don't think we've gone back to the the days of nineteen ninety-five when Jürgen was saying, you know, people would just wait until there was a nice day on the river and then they go and do a speed trial for their athletes. It's like, no, you do your speed trial for your athletes when the training plan demands it and the training plan is based on when the olympics demand it um that that hasn't happened we haven't gone back to that kind of laissez-faire it'll be all right on the night we'll just you know just give the ball to steve and he'll score as a goal um so no i don't think you can say that jürgen leaving made the difference
0: I think that's a fair point. Um, I mean, I know that, that Andy has talked about the confidence that comes from, from, from looking and seeing Jürgen there and, and um, the confidence that Jürgen gave his athletes. But I think he was talking about the confidence that he gave them in terms of the, the meticulousness of the preparation and the, and the sheer brutality of the, the preparation of getting them ready to be, you know, to be right on the day. I think, what you're saying is if our failure to win in this particular Olympics is purely and only down to our head coach in his seventies leaving for two years of a five-year cycle, then we don't have the system that we think that we actually have, which kind of, which kind of comes forward to the next point, which is that London and Rio, these are not the norms. These are a Zenith These are um, something this is a level of success that is very, very hard to sustain. And it's something that British rowing was building towards for a long, long period of time. And the squad then was full of, of, I guess you'd call them mature battle hardened athletes who were multiple Olympiads into their career. And that's a very, very hard thing to sustain. We lost a lot of squad members after Rio and can we see this Olympics in terms of we reached a zenith, we reached a peak in Rio, and the squad has been in transition since?
1: I'm not, sh- I'm not even sure if, if transition is the right word. It's been there was a com- complete renewal of the squad after Rio because if you look, so again, we need to get it out of our heads that. Britain has been, since 1980, a world-rowing superpower. We haven't. We have been a nation for most of that time, from like 84, for nearly all of Redgrave Abe's time, we've been a nation that could be relied upon to get a gold medal. And it might get two gold medals. And it might actually get three medals in total. It's only been, you know, Athens. We got one gold and engages brain. I think one silver in the ladies quad, maybe um,
0: quad because it was Cath, wasn't it? Yeah, and it
1: that wasn't particularly great. You know, I I think in Athens, our our men's eight didn't make the B final. We might've had like a double out there. Um, We didn't, it's only been since Beijing, since 2008, that we've been at the top of the medals table. And we've been working our way up from very much mid table since about 2000. You know, we did well in 2000, we got two Olympic gold medals. And if you look at the guys who are at the top of the medals table this time round, which the Kiwis, um, fair play to them, they've got three Olympic gold medals. So getting three gold medals at the Olympic regatta would, will get you pretty close to being on the top of the medal, medals table. Um, and we did that in Rio, we got four golds in London. Um, I think we got looks back at Beijing. Uh, can't believe having this much trouble. I, I think we just got a lot of medals in, in Beijing. We, we didn't get two golds, did we, in Beijing? No, yeah, we did. We got men's lightweight double.
0: We got the lightweight double. But the point you're making is that we, we we're literally having banner headlines across all media outlets that we are, you know, we're having a rowing civil war. We are, we have slipped. We, we are no longer dominant. The reality is that, that um, London and Rio were, were a Zenith. They were a peak. Yeah, They are not the norm. This is, this is not, we don't have an unbroken tradition of 40 years of winning golds. We have an unbroken tradition for the first, you know, period of that of Steve Redgrave winning goals sometimes against the odds and sometimes against the British rowing establishment then we have the advent of, of Jürgen and lottery funding and then we have building to a peak and then we have after 2016 we have a lot of athletes leaving we have um, a squad transition probably the wrong word but but we, we aren't quite starting again but whereas you had athletes doing olympics and not doing so well building towards a gold medal you now have relatively untested um, athletes being dropped in and being expected to carry on performing at at that level. And the reality is, as as the Australian Institute of Sports shows, you can be on top for a long, long time, and then you're not. Yeah, the
1: minute you take your eye off the ball, because, again, look at the successes. I I think Rio was a real kind of like, actually, that's a... That was an outlier. But even if you look at London, you know, we beat the Aussies by a length. Um, We beat, you you know, everything's close up there. And you are looking at the finest margins to go your way. Um, I think the other thing to think is that we've got an incredibly young squad so if you look at okay let's compare the eights in rio our victorious eight i mean i don't know why anyone would have betted against it it had um i mean one of the main problems of that eight was that it was going to be submerged by the weight of all the medals in the boat you had double olympic gold medalists pete Reed and andy hodge you had olympic bronze medalist stroking the boat, Will Satch. You had... Um, who's, who's the guy? We Matt Landridge, bronze and silver at that point. Yeah. You know, that was an absolutely stellar boat. That was... was. A boat. You're just looking at that and going, right, you're going to have to work hard to lose. It's the same with the four. The four had one
0: gold medal in it
1: and... Stan
0: yeah. had a bronze. Stan had a bronze.
1: Stan had a bronze. George had a bronze. Um, who else was in there? Mo had a bronze.
0: Mo had a bronze. So
1: it, it wasn't... If, if you look at the... Um, if you look at the men's... The Netherlands men's four that won this time around and won well, you know... Um, no, sorry. Not the Netherlands men's four. That was, that was Aussies. It was the Netherlands men's quad, which were an awesome boat. They've got two bronze medalists in there from the Netherlands eight in Rio. And then they've got two debutants. We we were just like pure debutants.
0: We didn't have the continuity that we we've had in previous years, where maybe in your top boat, you might have a Matt Pinson or a Steve Williams who's been there, seen it, and done it. And he's in there with a, with an Andy Hodge who's coming back for a or, or a Pete Reed who are coming back for their second bite of the cherry, who who, who have actually been to an Olympics and who now know what, what it's like when the circus is in town. Um so is it fair to say that we have slipped in terms of our expectations of what we are expected to deliver?
1: Um I think no. Basically, I, 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 I don't, I think that, again, that there's a history to this. So almost the entire men's sweep squad was made up in Rio, was made up of people who had been to London and had won medals at London. Um, there were not the entire, but the majority of them. So there were actually, particularly on or, there were relatively few places for men's rowing to, to bring people up. To blood them. Yeah, essentially to say, you're going to go to the Olympics in this. Now, the idea that you have to have rode at an Olympics in order to win an Olympics, we should probably put that out of our mind because it's not true. And and the Kiwi 8 shows that. The Kiwi 8 and the British 8 were very similar in that they had one very experienced, very, very highly regarded um, gold medalist in the boat, and then they had seven debutants. But the difference is that the Kiwi gold the Kiwis got the gold, we got bronze by, what was it? A second over 2000 meters, a second over five minutes. It's, it's a really, really hard thing to say that that's a failure. That's, that's a stepping stone to be built
0: from. It is. Have we, is it a case that having seen our success and seen the way that we built towards London and Rio, other countries have started to have restructured their programs and have started, have started to catch us.
1: Um, well, the Australians, who are second in the medal table, have absolutely been in the process of restructuring. Uh, they, um, they've they done this since London, where they didn't win a single gold medal. Um, they only won one at Rio. So you can kind of see it's it's like yeah. a it's an upward trend there. Uh, they've won two here, they're second. And also to think, to sit there and say, the Australian four won gold. We we shouldn't be entirely surprised about that. There's a lot of history of the Aussies winning gold in that. You know, um, y- you can be rude and you can crack the convict jokes, but the Australians are bloody good at rowing. And,
0: and even and even in the years when they when they and even in the Olympic cycles when they haven't won gold, they've always been damn competitive.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just like they they've gone up against you know in London they put their best guys up against a british boat that had two previous olympic gold medal medalists in it you know there's there's a lot you know that that's competitive spirit and yes they got beaten but yes we were one bad stroke away from losing
0: you know And in Beijing, previously they'd they'd led out to 1600, 1,700 meters, and they they pushed all the way. And actually, we had three because Alex, I want to say Alex James also had a previous goal from Beijing, didn't he?
1: Yes. So I mean, literally, it's just that they just swapped out um, Alex Parkridge, Steve Williams to Tom James, haven't
0: they? Yeah. So so it, so it was. Um, the point we're making is there's a lot of kind of over the top. Oh my God, it's the fall of the British empire. You know, the, the flag has been besmirched, you know, the, the usual stuff that we seem to do with annoying regularity in, in modern Britain, that this, that this is somehow a, a sign of our decline and fall. But the reality is that that there were a lot of Olympic cycles when we were on the right side of, of very, very fine margins. Um, and we had everything in our favor in terms of, our structure, the athletes whom we had in place, uh, previous experiences. And we haven't necessarily done badly at this Olympics. We've made, um, is it eight finals, six finals?
1: Uh, I think it's six finals.
0: Yeah, Um, we haven't won, but the point I'm making is, we don't have a divine right to gold medals. We don't have a divine right to turn up on the rowing lakes of the world and just win. A lot of things had to go right for us to do that in the future. And maybe those things weren't, weren't as dialed in as, as they usually are because of the fact um, we are somewhat, and again, I hate to use the T word, but we are somewhat in a, a period of transition or a period of change. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I, I really think we are. I, I think we've got a very young, young team, a team, who made it to a lot of finals got four fourth places which you would actually expect if those teams stick around to next year they will probably turn those uh, to next time in Paris they will probably turn those um and, they'll turn them into bronzes at the very least I, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they turn them into gold.
0: And we we have to say, and it's usually you, Lewin, who say this, but we have to say that there are some rowing nations uh, um, who aren't usually particularly regarded as rowing nations who've done exceptionally well on on this occasion. There are. Um, Oh, yeah, Okay. So, first of all, the the people who
1: have notably had very good games are Romania and the Netherlands. And I may have... You know, Romania, sort of like, again, you shouldn't really say, oh, Romania had, had a great rowing Olympic regatta. That's, that's not a surprise. You know, they, they've been there or thereabouts for a lot of years, and they put in some great boats. I mean, they really, uh, they had a breakthrough year, but it's not, uh, where are they? Romania are fourth in the medals table. The Netherlands, again, the tallest country in Europe are we entirely surprised to see them third on the medal table with a gold and two silver and the gold is their most favoured boat um, in the quad the quad had a brilliant race did, did, I've not heard anyone actually point out the fact that they caught a crab in the first 500 metres and dropped half a length, and still rode through everyone
0: yeah it was, it was pretty impressive and then we have Greece who have a long history of, of being fantastic on the oar one thinks of Perseus and the golden fleece uh, we're going back a long way there. Um,
1: yeah, admittedly, okay, Greece won Olympic medal, single skulls, you're always going to get, I, I don't know, th- this is the one that I'm really struggling with. This is like, oh, the ex-lightweight that everybody just wanted to win because he's an ex-lightweight and they're tired of, like, the big strong guys with the massive ergos pulling stuff. You know, I don't know how lightweight he is currently, I do know he's six foot, one and a half inches tall, which wouldn't have got him into world-class start.
0: Well, yes. um,
1: So, you know, there are other quite successful rowers who had to lie about their height to get into the Sporting Giants programme, weren't there, Helen? Um, But yeah, I, I find what happened in the men's single skulls very odd very interesting in need of a lot of examination and explanation
0: indeed um so the other point I wanted to come ac- i want to I wanted to come to was the outpouring i mean it seems like in this country we only have two speeds now we, we have completely indifferent and apathetic of foaming at the mouth, flecked with rage, rage, vitriolic, venomous outpourings of bile in the general direction of of targets. The idea that our athletes have failed this country, that, uh, and this is, you know, we take the piss out of James on this um, podcast, but we have always pointed out that, that we we respect his achievements as a rower and as an individual, and we'd largely take the piss out of him because we recognise that he did things that we probably couldn't. And we noticed that there is a new, yeah, there is a new parody. Well, I mean, we can do tact and subtlety a bit better, but let's not go there. There's a new parody account in town by by someone calling themselves flames hacknell. Is that I I hadn't noticed. Well, we've responded to a couple of the more pertinent points, but some of the, comments from commentators that you would expect to be a bit more nuanced and a bit more understanding have been a little bit banner headline and the idea that our athletes have somehow failed british rowing or failed the country or failed the flag or whatever and I, I, you know they're probably not going to listen to this but we're going to put on record that actually no you haven't failed if you make it to an olympics you are very good if you make it to an Olympic final, you are very good. If you win a medal, you are very good. The bottom line is you are all you are all very very good. You know, looking at some of the things that have been said about the four, as if we have a divine right to rock up at the start line and other people are going to hand us the gold. I think that that boat did very well. I think Al's Cook. For the, the, the lurch to bow side and the course correction at that point in, in the race, I don't think anyone should be sticking the boot into British rowing or British rowers at this point. I think it's it's counterproductive with a very young squad, with very young athletes who, who are learning what it takes to win at this level, probably without the mentorship that previous generations might have had.
1: Um. Or the opportunity for experience, or I mean, I I think there's all kind of like all the fact that all the guys who did or no, not all, a lot of the guys who did so well at Rio were products of a specific program designed to bring people up for a home games and then they stayed on. And so our success in Rio was almost because we had this massive kind of investment for London. What? Okay, one thing I am going to say on the question of failure or success is British Rowing as a collective, and that means literally everybody who works there. That means the guys who chase the swans off the lake at Cavisham everyone has failed to meet their medal target the medal target is a binary do you meet it do you not meet it and whatever the new system is or whatever you want you know i i don't know where this new touchy-feely system of uh giving people's funds is if you are being paid collectively 27 million pounds over four years of public money to basically do some highly organized mucking about in boats on a river you actually there is an understanding that we're giving you that to come up with gold medals at the end we're not we're not we're not saying oh you can have a nice four years doing your favorite sport in a really nice place near Reading with like faintly acceptable rental prices. We're saying, we're giving you this money collectively, British Rowing, not the athletes alone, but collectively we are giving you this money so that you go and pick up medals at the Olympic games. That didn't happen. And as a result, there will be consequences. And those consequences will almost certainly be financial. That that I don't know, twenty four million is it? Twenty seven million?
0: Twenty four, dropping to twenty two, I think, for Paris. Yeah, that that. It's a lot of money, even now. Really you know, four even pushing boats backwards down a river. Yeah, I mean, it it is essentially the the house of a you know, it's the it's the price of a small three bedroom terrace in North London now. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's a the significant
1: half decent striker in a middle-of-the-road Premiership Club.
0: Indeed. Uh, So there will will have to be a review. And just to kind of come into that, one of the points that I I made pushing back on social media against some of the outpouring was that funding is defined by past performance, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee future performance. So there will have to be a, a, a review. Because for all we're talking around it, and we and for all we are supporting the athletes on their journey, the medal target was missed by British rowing collectively.
1: Collectively, from um, the very top to literally the guys who chase the swans off the lake at Caption.
0: Yeah. Uh, and um James Cracknell in the Tory I'm, graph. I'm uh,
1: probably giving I'm probably like really snarking at some guy. He's probably got a degree in like Upman. You, know, you know he's got a phd in in like avian aquatic fauna or something i'm giving him really yeah yeah Stake. like that, that idiot we we let so like rush around it in a boat chasing chasing swans off of the lake at the ship. he's probably like one of the like the, the sort of britain's greatest young experts on aquatic waterfowl.
0: Can we actually just pause the podcast a moment while we look up if, if we can, if you can get a funded PhD in, in, um, put recording, put recording so, back yes, on. Yes,
1: we, we have in fact discovered you can absolutely unsurprisingly get a PhD
0: in aquatic waterfowl and chasing swans off lakes. And the guy at Cavisham probably has it.
1: Yeah. And we're really sorry to disparage you, but
0: you Be are job. a
1: collective failure of, British rowing to win medals. You should have chased, you should have invested in your marginal gains for swan chasing.
0: Just to come back in with some points that Flames Hacknell made in in the Telegraph, um, which I'd just like to point out that obviously I'm, I'm from the North and therefore naturally I will vote for anything um, with a red rosette on it, up to and including a, a, a donkey in a suit, and indeed probably have. Um, we just rotate the weekend papers uh, so that we get, a, we get a broad selection of uh, billionaires trying to sell us things as opposed to just one. Um, James suggested that Cavisham uh, is not necessarily a happy hunting ground for some rowers. Uh, there have been some mutterings um, in social media about the fact that some people don't like training there. And he has suggested that one of the things that Jürgen was very big on was athletes taking ownership of their work? And he, I don't know how accurate this is, but the idea that everything is is micromanaged, um, that it almost feels like logging on at the factory for the day's work. He has suggested, well, some of these ergs could be done at home, and the screenshots sent in. Some of the outings don't have to be on the on the rowing lake, followed by a, an instant debrief with a coach. You could get back out on the river athletes should be given more trust and more responsibility because he, he feels that's what they were given and he, he also talked about he, he could feel towards the end of his time as an olympic athlete that the changes were coming that, that more kind of management was coming in i mean given some of his hairstyles if it was kind of tonsorial management that's not necessarily a bad thing but where, where do you stand on the idea that maybe maybe cavisham has become too not restrictive constrictive of of athlete development in that sense of of ownership and responsibility?
1: I I think that James Hacknell, uh, Cracknell, Flames, Cracknell, uh, who? Um, James Cracknell is basically suggesting that athletes should be sent out on their tod with a Ford Transit van, a trailer and a couple of boats and told to make their way to Runcorn and race it in the rain basically i'm 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 not joking about this i i think fundamentally if you have okay this is almost certainly a result from psychology so you know throw the replication crisis at me if you want to but i think it's a fairly well accepted fact that if you have people invested in their own progress they are going to perform better than people who are simply following a script without agency um i think the other thing that has been very noticeable for the past two olympiads we have had and it's going to be different in paris but for the past two olympiads we've had people rowing essentially on open water that's been boomed off so the sea forest waterway which is such a lovely lovely title image
0: it's a lovely image The see for until you see the reality which is like this
1: concrete lined natural harbour in the middle of tokyo that's got like a motorway going over it on one side and you know it it it's it's genuinely one of like the least glamorous olympic rowing lakes there's been for a very long time um Sorry, hang on a second. What we just won? Okay, so sorry, my, my my wife is cheering on Max Whitlock, um, who's just won something. Good, we love Max. Or, well, I don't know if he's won something, but he's, he's just like nailed a, a huge score on the Pommel Horse. Okay, so yeah, open water. We've got these, you know, Rio, big open water lake. Sea Forest water were a big open water lake. Both of them had actually bloody terrible water conditions and water conditions that we would say are not fair. And the fact is that most of our rowers train all the time on a really quite, engage his brain, really quite uh, manicured and curated lake at Cavisham go up and down the lake at Cavisham, And then we race on absolutely lovely rowing lakes around the world that are known for how sheltered they are. And then <laughs> you go basically to Tokyo and race on docks, regatta in a howling gale. Um, and I think, you know, a lot, okay. I'm going to say this about our quad. They were, I think, about the fourth fastest boat in in that regatta. If you look at it, there three of the faster boats than them. Which I'm going to, I I think the Aussies, the Poles, and the the Netherlands who won all caught crabs. The Netherlands caught a crab in the first 500. They had the right stuff to row back through. The Italians, oh no, it was the Italians were the other ones. Um, The Italians caught crab in the second 500 and were nowhere for the rest of the race. Um, One other boat caught a crab in the last 500 who were coming up on the British and were making it very uncomfortable for them. And they went through the back door. The reason we won is because you had, at the very least, three great watermen in that boat. You had Barris, you had Groom, you had um, Beaumont. I don't know what Harry Lee's history is, but you had three club rowers who learnt their trade slogging up and down every available tideway head in whatever conditions they were sent to row it in um and learning you know oh it's a 22 knot wind out there let's go and race it yeah i think this is i think this is an important experience of that so i think cavisham is i think people in cavisham need to go out and get trained on some very on on much dirtier water
0: I think this is an important point and it's been mentioned by a couple of, of um, elite rowers who followed who, who follow us and we follow them on Twitter. The, the first point is that there's a, there's a growing disconnect between club rowing in this country and British rowing as a collective medal-winning organisation and that perhaps um, seeing some of the athletes back out on the water competing at the local events and the national events, which let's be honest, when we talked to Jack, he was big on and, and, and Jack is very, very clearly a club man. I mean, he flew back and the next day was going to a local regatta to help out and to be present for the clubs that were there.
1: Probably somewhat hungover. Probably <laughs> like somewhat based hungover. On a, based on Alan Sinclair's tweets.
0: Yeah, but, but fair play to him. Uh, and he has stressed the importance, not of, of the world-class stock programme in his development or the squad in his development, even though he, he did talk about the training and how it it had improved him but the the his progression through the club system and the fact that he routinely went racing every weekend wherever there was a race and if you remember when we talked to matt Langridge, he talked about the eight in rio knowing knowing it was going to be terrible conditions as eric murray pointed out once they got out in front his calls were not let's bury this his calls his calls were let's not stuff this up because it's one so let's be very conservative because this isn't very nice water Matt Langridge talked about the eight going out in conditions to the point where they sank. Yeah. And then when, by the time they got to Rio and they did their, they did their warm up and they got used to the, they got used to the rowing lake there going out in conditions when nobody else would, when it was blowing a gale. So they could say, right, we now know what, what the worst of it is. We can now cope with it. So I, I think the idea that, you know, we've touched on it for a long time, the disconnect between the elite end of the sport and the club end of the sport needs to be narrowed. Seeing athletes um, at local regattas and local heads and and national regattas and heads would obviously be fantastic. But I remember reading, um, you know, Matt's book and Steve's book and they trained on the Thames with big gin palaces and cruisers slopping up and down past them. They had to maneuver through boats they got used to going out in every condition they got used to going out when the stream was strong and when it wasn't you know they got you it's you can't have perfect conditions all the time these are not these are not ergs that float watermanship is a huge skill and i'm not knocking the watermanship of the athletes in 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 tokyo the british athletes in tokyo because it far exceeds mine but the reality is you could you could you can come out of Cavisham. You can go out on the Thames. You can do your long steady state up and down through the locks. It's not gonna, it's not gonna kill you to do that. It's actually gonna improve you. Um, I think that's a, I think it's a really really important point, and and Jack's point back in November or December when we talked to him, were the clubs were important, you know, and and we'd just like to remind British Rowing, if you're still listening at this point, that he was completely on board with that idea that every club gets an international for the season and um you know they, as a kind of they,
1: they have their pet international rower who has to row with their top boat at least twice
0: yes indeed so i mean speaking of someone who has recently got very used to bidding it in the Tyne, i i, I think that it would be a real proving ground because the tidal range of the Tyne is a lot more than it looks you know when you're just in the car going over the Tyne I, bridge it's pretty dramatic it's really, really
1: important um, I, I've just actually been trying to re- read, so Paris is going to be on, on a lovely manicured lake, it's going to be on a purpose built lake, it's going to be absolutely gorgeous um, they're going to have nice sloping sides there's, no, there's going to be no bounce back they're probably going to build like a forest at one end of it to kill the prevailing wind I'm not sure what they're doing with LA um, so LA rowing like um, so yeah apparently world Ryan continued to ponder switching Los Angeles 2028 competition to Long Beach so the question is uh, oh Long Beach would also present challenges however it only has seven lane 1500 meter course um so they. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen to LA? But there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're going to see over our the remaining half of our lives a, a great and significant change in the nature of Olympic rowing, and it's it's not going to be on these perfect manicured lakes. And I think we're going to have to see a degree of evolution in boats and oars and rowers and how they train and how important watermanship is. And I think there might come come a time when we look back at the period from 1984 to 2012 and go, oh, well, you don't understand just how incredible the racing was back then when we we had these, these perfect dime straight things and now you have to race around corners and stuff and you've got to race down lakes and it's just not the same and you don't find out who the best rower is
0: well i Um, i think and we talked about this with with um andy hodge and we talked about it with 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 jack you know people who are used to rowing on very twisty rivers and being able to go we've crashed into the reeds let's not panic now I think there's a space, and we talked about it in the pre-Olympics episode where we took the, uh, uh, we wisely took the different tack to everyone else and stopped talking about how many medals we were going to win and actually said, look, this is a perfect chance for a, um, an international games. The best rowing course we'll have Dorney, the best badminton place we'll have Korea, um, and the the sea forest waterway pretty much proved the point. Uh, but I think some of our rowers, some of our British rowers would would welcome, especially ones who've come up through the club system would welcome the chance to prove at an Olympic level the, the fact that they can bin it into a, a squadron of ducks that have landed in their lane and still get round them and still carry on and still go and do well on a twisty course.
1: Um, yes, I, I think so. And for those who don't welcome this, there was our other idea, which realistically is my other idea, of the uh, indoor rowing competition at the Winter Olympics. <laughs> which which received overwhelming denigration and abuse. It's just like, there are three choices. Yes, this is a good idea. No, this is a bad idea. Go and get a life. And it's like, it majority on go and get a life. Um, Pretty
0: much, but armchair experts. Sorry? Armchair experts, what do they know? Which actually brings us to another point. The, the outpouring, they should have done this. They should have done that. They should have brought home goals. They should, have, they should have retaken India and reestablished the empire. You know, I mean, let's be honest. The amount of outpouring that we've had, and uh, some of it has been from commentators who should know better, but the bulk of the outpouring can be ignored because they, some of these people have literally no knowledge of rowing beyond expecting that every four years Britain wins medals at it. And let's be also be honest. In yeah, modern it's all track cycling, cycling, well, yes, yeah. uh, in so many ways. Um,
1: <laughs> <in different> ways,
0: <laughs> yeah. But it, let's be honest. In modern Britain, the you know, people shouting very loudly about things they know very little about is not necessarily a new thing. And while it has a disproportionate impact on social media and broadcast media compared to the actual relevance and insight that it, it offers. It's just dog whistle stuff. I mean, and we said it at the start, and I'm going to say it again, to get to an Olympics, you have to be very good. To get into a final, you have to be very, very good. To win a medal, you have to be very good. And in previous Olympiads, we have been on the right side of some very, very fine margins that have contributed to our success. And some of the our rowers, our oarsmen and oarswomen, who've been getting absolute brickbats, if you are listening to this, you're not going to get them here because we we, rec- we recognize the fact that you are very, very good at what you do. So don't be disheartened. And, you know, there will be a review and there will be changes, but don't take it all on your shoulders. Yeah. Don't-
1: I, 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 do, I do feel that there is a requirement that every member of the British Four has the piss ripped out of them continually about not being able to steer. I, yeah. mean, I mean, literally, when they're walking down the corridor, people should start bouncing off the walls. I mean... <laughs> but,
0: Watch out, it's a member of the forecoming. Yeah.
1: You shouldn't be saying, like, oh, right, they're, they're never going to row in a GP vest again. The reason they started bouncing off the lane ropes in in the final in the last 300 was because they were trying to win you know you're basically where you want to be in the last 500 meters is a length up feeling great and saying right come boys let's just put the pressure on a bit the rate will come up by itself that's all we need to do and if you're there Kudos, and there have been quite a few times when Britain has been there, and we've had the race won essentially by 1500 meters. If you're not there, you've got to do something pretty bloody awesome, and you've got to whip up the rate, you've got to pull your hardest strokes. And if you're in bow and you start pulling your hardest strokes, and I've been in this situation where it's like I have to pull harder or we're going to lose. But I have to pull softer because I'm bending the boat round and we're going to crash. And I can remember two races where this happened and you don't know what you're doing. And particularly, it's, it's worse, I think, if you're the person who's actually steering, because you can't talk, you can't communicate to the rest of the crew at that point. So you're pulling harder, the boat starts to go offline you pull softer. You change the rudder to correct, but at that point, everybody else in the boat realizes, "Oh my God, we're going offline. We're about to go into the Aussies," and they start making. And then the boat overcorrects. Then you start veering. No, hang on. It was the Italians first that they were going towards. Everybody doesn't remember that. That actually, it started by them going towards the Italians. Then they. Then there was an overcorrect towards the Australians, and then there was an absolutely insane overcorrect towards the Italians. And then we crossed the line. And let's point it out, we didn't crash. We got a fourth, not a disqualification. You know, and the reason that mistake happened was because somebody was saying, I need to pull harder, pull faster, or we're going to lose. And so I'm going to pull harder, I'm going to pull faster. It didn't work that's the mistake that you want to make in the last 500 meters you don't if you're fourth or even third with 500 meters to go you don't want to be sitting there saying you know what boys let's just play it safe
0: yeah they they what happened happened because they were trying everything they could to win rather than trying everything they could not to lose and there's a right. massive distinction what,
1: what did they do Aaron? what did they throw at it
0: they literally, as Kev would say from Agecroft, they threw the kitchen sink at it. They went they full. Threw the kitchen sink at it. They went full Geronimo. They got the shopping trolley. They threw the shopping trolley in, and you can tell that Agecroft rose on the Irwell, where where there are kitchen sinks and shopping, <laughs> trolley shopping in, trolleys in, in Excelsis. Right <laughs> but d- yes, uh, they literally went full Geronimo through the kitchen sink and through the shopping trolley at it. And frankly, well played them. And I think the point you've just made is really is really important. In as much as in, in any semi-decent crew, any semi-decent crew, when there is a correction, when something happens, everybody automatically makes the adjustment to correct it. It isn't necessarily just the bowman or whoever is steering. So therefore, everyone in that boat would have felt the lurch and would have tried to correct it, which probably led to the more the, the dramatic overcorrection. And, and that is not... The fault of the crew that is basically what any semi-decent oars oars man oars woman oars person would have done in that situation because that's what we train to do oh a little bit of lateral pressure here oh we've just kicked a bow side i'll just i'll just hold the finish a little bit longer to to bring us back around and then you know whoever's steering doesn't have to have to use the rudder it's part and parcel so perhaps some of the armchair experts will now realise how incredibly hard it is to win it at an Olympics and how exceptional British rowing as a collective and its athletes in particular have been at sustaining that success for the last couple of decades. To come on to another point, Lou, and do you think that some of the commentator comments were out of order? Was Matthew Pinson insensitive, for example?
1: One thing I'm going to say about Matthew Pinson is if you're interviewing a crew that's just come forth at the olympic games if you are Ma- matthew pinson don't say well i know exactly how this feels because you bloody don't mate <laughs> you don't know how it feels to come forth at the olympic games you've literally never done that yes you've come forth at other things um so towards the end of your career is like 2003 I think it was but it's like I'm I'm really surprised that when he when he was talking to the force like guys I know this must feel terrible at the moment it's like well actually no Matthew you don't shut up go away
0: um he was showing sympathy if not necessarily um empathy but I don't I I, I don't
1: yeah I mean I uh, I, I don't, you know, again, you're, you only have documentaries on the BBC where you get all four people back together when they win. You're not going to have the chance for the general public to turn around and say, oh, hang on, you don't see that normally happening. What what the hell happened there? The British boat almost capped. Pat- You almost crashed into the Australians, then you almost crashed into the Italians. It's like, I do think you've got to ask about it. I would say kudos to Ollie Cook for basically saying, yeah, I was steering and it didn't, you know, I didn't do it perfectly. Um, I put the big strokes in and I forgot about the steering. Then then we overcorrected and then we overcorrected again. And then we, you know, we didn't. He didn't get disqualified. You know, we got fourth place, not a didn't DQ. So, I th- and you know, to actually turn around and just say at the end of the race in public, in front of the BBC, yeah, sorry, that was me. Um, it won't happen again. But we were on the limit and it didn't work. Um. Credit
0: to the man, I think. Yeah, credit to cook uh, uh, for, for putting his hand up. We're gonna come on to some of the comments that um, uh, Matt Rossiter and uh, uh, Josh B have made, but James Cracknell, Flames Hacknell, Flaming Hacknells, how do you solve a problem like Flames Hacknell or do we actually need to? Now, I'm gonna pick up on one one of the many points that he's made and he is a media commentator. It's how he makes his living. He writes articles, he's, he's, he's present. Twenty-seven million is not a good investment for a silver and a bronze, which is a which is a headline, and it's also correct. But the reality is very different, and he he knows that. Is it is this just James being James, blunt, forthright? You know, uh, forthright to the point where forthrightness becomes just tactless, or is this James actually telling hard truths that need to be told?
1: I think it's a bit of both, but. Mm. Okay, to a certain extent, if you are a member of British Rowing since 2004, since the beginning of, since the end of James Cracknell International Superstar Rower and the beginning of James Cracknell International Superstar TV presenter, you have, one of like the challenges faced by being an international British rower is Unless you win a gold medal at every single event you go to, James Cracknell will be rude about you and will say it's not good enough. I think there is a requirement for that. I think without James Cracknell, everything would devolve into a cosy loving where there is a lot of kind of like nuanced sotto voque criticism and we don't really have clear forthright transparency of opinion um so frankly i don't believe we should solve the problem of jane tank that that flames hacknell account it's got everybody confused hasn't it um we shouldn't solve Okay. In exactly the same way, you don't criticise your guard dog because he bit the burglar too hard. You don't. You don't criticise a car alarm for being too loud. That's what they're there for. There are lots of people who will do the nice, kind of like who will, who will do the conciliation and the nuance and the compromise. That's not what we have. That's not what we have crackers
0: for. So are you saying that James Cracknell is, is the equivalent of the Latin tag about custard? Ipso custard, something something custard. Who who eats the custard? Who watches the custard or something like that? He is our who 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 watches the watchman who watched the watchman who watched the watchman watching the watchman, sort of thing. He is our guard dog. He is our speaking truth to power. Actually, we need to win. He is our blunt force trauma um, instrument. He, he...
1: Yeah, I mean, he, he he's the Yorkshireman that every organisation needs, even though he's not from Yorkshire. Fair point. So
0: yeah, not... he,
1: he says what he likes, he likes what he says, and he's not going to dress it up if it hasn't been good enough. And again, 27 million pounds of public money has been spent in pursuit of gold medals.
0: And and let's be fair... not get around that, and somebody's got to turn around and, and say that. And he has done. And to be fair, he is he is he is saying something that he learned at, at Steve Redgrave's knee. And, and Matthew Pinson talks has talked very openly in the past about when he started rowing with, with Sir Steve, the of the recognition that this is this, these are the standards that are required. And I think both James and Tim have, have talked about um winning the a world championship gold and then realizing that actually the this is nothing. This is something that you are expected to do. And it's a realization of the standards that are required. And I think he's, he's talked very honestly about the fact that at times in that fall, uh, James has talked about the fact that he did, he was annoying and he didn't know where the line was and he sometimes crossed it and it led him into conflict, into conflict with people like Steve, but Steve won because he, the only thing he wanted to do was win. Uh, and he was very, very blunt about it. And James is now, to a degree, fulfilling that function. So we're not going to try and solve a problem like Flame Cracknell. We're going to let James be James, in the okay, same way. I,
1: I think. I, I think not only do we let James be James. I mean, this is not. Let's just be said. This is not. Let Ginger Baker be Ginger Baker because Ginger Baker was like a mean heroin addicted psychopath. Yes. James Cracknell is actually a much more useful member of society and our sport um than ginger baker was as a human being um it's not just like oh look sometimes you need terrible people to do terrible things it's not like that he does speak bluntly about things that need to be spoken bluntly about i think i don't quite remember when it was if it was 2009 or 2013 but basically there was a world cup at dorney and this british crew that was quite fancied really struggled to win by a canvas over over the polls who were a bunch of under 23 guys and he just literally said frankly it's shit they know it's shit the australians the americans and the canadians will be looking at that and saying that's shit and they'll be laughing all the way to the world championships and then they went and won the world championships so you know it's it's not he's not always right but he does hold people to account and he does it and he's okay this is the thing i don't think there's necessarily been a lack of accountability inside british rowing inside elite british rowing you know, this was the big thing about Jürgen's culture is the accountability culture. Take responsibility for everything. You do take responsibility for your own results. Never say it was the wind. The wind was there for everyone. Um, what James is doing is, is not letting that be swept under the carpet for the viewing public. And I, I personally believe that's an incredibly important role.
0: Yeah. So we're gonna, in the same way that Leo McGarry let Jed Bartlett be Jed Bartlett, we're going to continue to let James to be James, and we will continue to take the piss out of his hair and his accompanying camera camera crew. Um, and but if he ever wants to come on, it would be lovely to have him. Just to move on to the last couple of kind of points, um, I think, um, and this is this is going to be a touchy one because I'm very aware that 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 what I might say next might see me branded as some some form of horrific Northern monkey misogynist. Helen Glover didn't quite get um, probably the fairy tale ending that, that we would have liked, but she did make it to the Olympics after three children, which is a massive achievement and she made it into a final, which is a massive achievement. Um, is there a sense afterwards that that maybe making the Olympics and making the final were probably more realistic goals and then having made the final, it's anything's possible um
1: don't know really um i i don't want you know again i'm just going to say she made the olympic final which is a hell of an achievement for anyone clearly as a comparison to from my point of view this is actually right okay there You know, we've said it before that if Helen Glover after, was it less than a year's training now and Polly Swan after less than two years training can just get together. It's like, Helen, should we go and row a boat at the Olympics? Oh, Polly, that's a brilliant idea. Let's go and do that. If they can just do that and just like throw it at the wall and win an Olympic gold medal or even an Olympic medal, there is something that we don't understand about rowing and the way it's set up I think and and what it takes to be a good a great international rower so I actually think that this is this is a slightly relieving result for my point of view that or the no not my point of view but the standard point of view that it takes four years to make an olympic champion
0: yeah
1: And, and you can't you can't just like oh you know We'll do a bit of training and then we'll, we'll go to the Olympics. What her motivations were. Some people have talked about vanity projects. I'm not sure I'm entirely against vanity projects being a remarkably vain human being myself.
0: Um, And he is looking particularly lovely today. Listeners. He's really made an effort this Sunday morning. (laughs) Well, thank you very much indeed.
1: Um, You know, if you have the opportunity to say, right, I've had three kids, I need to get some kind of career on track, and the only thing I'm actually qualified to do is be a PE teacher or a sports presenter for minority sports on the BBC, or maybe going forward, the female and slightly easier on the eye james cracknell i you know and you say right how how am i going to achieve this i I need to get back into the public eye and going and just like chucking it at the wall making fourth place in the olympic final is a pretty good way of doing that um i don't think she actually you know she qualified the boat her and polly swan however much funding was given to them they did as well as any other women's boat that we sent better than the eight which didn't make the a final um so you know i don't think any you can turn around and say ah public money was wasted on a helen glover vanity project i think you just have to turn around and say i don't know if she had classically corinthian motivations for this project Um, i think anybody who has kids is probably saying well you know i'm not gonna i'm not exactly gonna value winning an olympic medal as much as i value the happiness of my children um so yeah i I think it's a it's a difficult one I, i think it does slightly step Outside the Corinthian ideals of the Olympics, but I don't, I don't really begrudge it to be honest.
0: Yeah, I don't think we can really say what her motivations are. I think she probably couldn't unpick them unless she really wanted to sit down and work through them. She is, she is a winner. She has won before, so she would have wanted to <coughs> win again. Um, the point about your children when you have them is is a well-made one. Just to wind back to something Eric Murray said towards the end of his chat with us. And, and as time goes by, I, I, I'm realising um, how much wisdom was contained in, in that chat from start it's to finish, isn't there?
1: You, I, I, I think Eric Murray is quite possibly one of the most misunderstood men in modern sport.
0: Yeah, i I, I, I'd I go you,
1: there. The, the impression that most people have of Eric Murray and the actual reality Pulls apart.
0: very very different we have this idea and let's be fair we've propagated it of him being this big viking blonde antipodean rowing god who just basically mullers everyone on a rowing lake but his conversation with us and if, if you haven't listened to it or you're new to the podcast go back to to you know we're, all of our guests have been wonderful hodge uh tez di binley uh, jack everyone but eric was just outstanding from start to finish and he, he made the point very, very clearly. He would have been in the New Zealand AIDS project for this Games, but he had a choice, and the choice was I can either do an Olympics and go for this project, or I can be a good father and, and husband. I don't think we're betraying a, a, any secrets by saying that his, his son has, has autism. Um, and his point was, I can do both, but I will be half-arsing it. Uh, my family doesn't deserve that on one level and my crewmates don't deserve that on the other. So when he was confronted with the choice of his, his family or going for another Olympic gold, he said there was no choice at all. It was going to be his family every time. And I have to say that, you know, if someone said he, here are two Olympic golds, you could have rode in any two of, any two of the fours that, that you prize most highly. So, you know, obviously it would have been, you know, Sydney and Beijing for me personally. Or you can have your two daughters. It really isn't a choice at all. It would. It would be. I nearly said something else there. It would be Charlotte and Lara every single day of the week and twice on Sundays. But the other point I wanted to make about Helen's position is sometimes just making it there is a gold medal. And I, I want to come back to um, our and I'm laughingly calling it a rowing career when we went to Henley together in 2009. Now. I think that given time and different circumstances, I think we both had the potential to be a Friday or a Saturday boat. You'd certainly had the potential to be in a weekend boat at some point if the cards had fallen. But the reality of rowing is that you get what you get. And with the people that we had, and we, we had yourself, we had Ben Charles, we had uh, o Chapman, my Chapman as captain, we had we had the magic that is Mark Hancock, we had the godlike status that is Matthew Bucknell, who no matter where he was rowing, rowed like he was sitting in an armchair, sipping a fine whiskey and listening to a violin concerto. Um, fluid, he, fluid we'll, uh, we'll call it. Yeah, we would Me, never... Technique. He, his, his technique was... Just to digress, Dennis once went down the boat and picked us apart in horrific detail after a session that I can only describe as a floating hell, which was power strokes with a car tire tied to the eight. And he ripped us apart in his his Scottish accent, which makes every ripping apart sound worse, except when he got to Matt. And he paused and he looked at Matt and he said, change nothing, Matt. You're rowing like a god, which Matt then had made into a T-shirt. God bless him. Um... But to come back to it, with that crew, with that season that we had, with that season that we put together, with the bonds that we formed, with the friendship that we had, simply getting to Henley and pre-qualifying was our gold medal. Yes, we might have gone through a couple of rounds of Green Lake hadn't monstered us and we'd got our act together, but the reality was sometimes making it is the thing you is is a gold medal. It's, the, you know, it's certainly it's an achievement I remember, and I'm still friends with everyone in that crew. I mean, obviously, we're pushing that friendship to its limits, but broadly. Um, but maybe that's it. Maybe it's I've had three children, I could win, but actually it would still be a significant statement to actually make it.
1: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. A gold medal is a gold medal.
0: Oh, farewell, your children. They're Uh, on eBay. No, 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 no.
1: no. It's like you you make your your choices. The only thing that is actually the achievement of gold medal is a gold medal. Many, many other things are very, very, very good, but they are not. I'm not even saying they're not as good as a gold medal from your own point of view, but they're not the gold medal. The only thing that is Olympic gold is Prendergast and Growler. They made it. They were awesome. They were the class crew of the field and never once did they look anything other than the class crew of that field. And frankly, they did to the field what Glover and Stanning used to do to everyone else.
0: Yeah, I I Um, take your point. Maybe the gold medal metaphor was was the wrong metaphor. Sometimes just making it to the start line is, is... massive achievement there
1: are there are things that you can have in your head as your own personal goals and personal gold medals but i don't think you can actually say oh well that's you know fourth is as good as a gold medal to us it's like no it's not
0: (laughs) but if (laughs) but if if fourth is the limit of what you can achieve if if actually qualifying and making it to henley with that group of people is the limit of what you can achieve and i don't to be fair, I don't actually think that it was, and we're not going to talk about Youssef getting shit-faced on vodka before 2010 because that still wakes me up at night in a cold sweat. That boat was rapid, um, but if if that is the if that is what you can achieve. And it's it's a damn sight more than you can achieve by not going for it. Then then it is still a, an achievement to treasure. It might not be a gold medal, he, as you you know, a, a real actual gold medal, but it's still it's still a significant achievement. And maybe her making the Olympics, and maybe her making the final, maybe they are all significant achievements in, in the context of her journey.
1: Yeah, and I but I would say that if you look at it, Helen Glover's Olympic record is two golds and a fourth place and three children which is a pretty bloody good olympic re- record that
0: fine um, record
1: i'm I, all my main feeling about this is that actually the stars have realigned in terms of what we understand about what it takes to make a great olympic rower on the women's side you, you can't just throw it at the wall and see what happens. That that that's that's not the way things work. And yes, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna leave it there. And again, whatever you know, whatever you want to say about Helen Glover, she didn't take anything from anybody else to sit on the start line of that regatta. She wasn't parachuted in. She is this year's European champion. She deserved to be sitting there.
0: Fair point. Just going to come back to some of the, and this is to kind of wrap up, I guess, some of the pushback from some of the members of the squad. Uh, Matt Rossiter's uh, accused former Olympians of being smug. Never thought of James or Flames as being remotely smug. fat-looking one. Uh, <laughs> He's the he's the tall one with the shaven head, I believe. Uh, he does not have the t- the tonsorial magnificence that James Cracknell still maintains well into his forties. Um, and Josh uh, Bugaski has an excoriating attack on Jurgen Brogler. I mean, do you have any thoughts on this? On this, I I have a few, and I'm happy to weigh in, and then you you kind of feedback on them.
1: I mean. as as far as i understand it matt rossiter is the nicest guy in rock and roll and he came into the olympics looking like he was a member of the inform crew didn't even get a medal probably you know the guy was probably hurting um and he sounded out i, th- I think there's been a lot of that going on because people have been looking for quotes basically um, to kind of explain the apparently appalling performance of British Rang um, I don't think that's necessarily a fair reflection I think if he was given time to reflect and look back he might not say that those things again. He might, he might actually just have spent the last eight years in his time in and around British rowing, saying, you know what, that bloody James Cracknell, he, all he does is run his mouth off the back of two gold medals, you know, and he's never once mentioned the fact that there are at least two people in the squad who've got like two more gold medals and have much less successful t- careers in the TV and one of them's got better hair than he has um so yeah there might have been some frustration there i don't know i'm not you know give him a chance to talk about it again give him a chance to talk to james cracknell um i would say that josh bogowski How am I going to say this because i don't really know a great deal about him josh bogowski is not a man who has avoided controversy in his rowing career um clearly not at great britain level but also very much not at um university level because he was i mean he he was always known i think we're talking three years ago maybe four years ago now he was known as the star rower in an oxford blue boat he was known as like he is he's the most powerful guy there he he's the guy who's going to go on and win an olympic medal you know that, that was like yeah you can put you can put money on this and he has gone on and won an olympic medal um despite having a shit pirate beard. um but he was dropped from that boat less than 2 weeks i'm i'm i've been trying to look this up and josh boganski's wikipedia page is remarkably barren for for someone who does have quite a controversial history but he was dropped from the blue boat less than 2 weeks before the boat race because there had been a three line whip that blue boat members were not to go and test at cavisham and do a 2k test and he went and tested at cavisham and did a 2k test and pulled 552 which is not bad for an under 21 year old rower and so he was dropped from the boat and then not he didn't just take being dropped from the boat he went and rowed for oxford brooks instead and did really pretty well with them. So he's he's very much his own man. He's very, you know, I I don't... Uh, I, I, I don't want to say... I don't know him. I've never sat down with him. I've never spoken to anyone who sat down with him or coached him or rode with him. I do know that in the public record and what is said, Josh Bogowski may not be the easiest human being to work with. Okay. Now, th- that may not, that may be because he has a huge amount of ambition and a huge amount of talent and he will not be constrained by anybody else, which I think everybody sooner or later has to be constrained by. But, sinned he has sinned as much as he has been sinned against possibly
0: okay um i mean i think the first point i would make is that he has a right if that's how he feels to make those comments the question i would ask is if if he has endured this hellish existence in the squad has he raised these concerns at any other point within the squad um and if so how were they dealt with and if he hasn't raised these concerns and he's picked his moment on the olympic podium to to drop his bombshell in the hope of being seen to be the brave whistleblower who finally exposed the 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 hell of the medals factory at Cavisham, it's fairly spectacularly backfired but why didn't he make his complaints or his issues or his concerns known previously from my own perspective um at my level at Agecroft. there's a couple of ways I would think about this. And the reality is that when Pete Holmes came in to coach us, we'd just been to Henley. We'd won quite a lot the previous season. We were a pretty rapid boat on on our day. And he brought in new training methods, a new style of rowing, a kind of Spraklin-esque, Fairburn, uh, Canadian style. And I will honestly say and I'm speaking for everyone in the, in the crew and in the squad, there were times when we were, we were practically weeping with frustration that, that we, we know we know how to move a boat. Why can't we move it the way that Pete wants us to do? It was immensely frustrating. It was immensely difficult. It was a very, very um, hard period. But the reality was it made us much, much better as oarsmen and it took time and it was brutal and the training the training was hard it was it was horrific and trying to get the new stroke grooved in and trying to get eight people doing it at once and trying you know i remember going up and down the Irwell with other members of the men's squad going past us going does your mother know you're out have you any idea what you're doing would you like to do some rowing today you know it was it was it was horrible um and i will also say you know dennis I was never ever fast enough for Dennis, no matter what I did. Now, when I joined Agecroft, I could average about two ten for an hour, um, based on just normal natural fitness or previous fitness from previous sports. When I became a rower, by the time I left, I was sitting at one fifty five for twenty one kilometers, which isn't you know outstanding, but it's a good fifteen seconds and more faster per five hundred than I was doing when I joined, and it was largely down to Dennis always going you can do better you need to work harder you need to you, you need to get fitter you need to pull harder you need to improve your scores and did i enjoy it at the time no but it made me 15 seconds faster you know and it made me faster in every single one of my scores and i remember talking to uh, rick savage of the band Def leopard um for a piece i was doing once and also joe elliott and a couple of other people and i would liken Working, to someone like, working with someone like Jürgen to working with, you know, someone like a George Martin or a Mutt Lang in his prime or a Bob Rock when he was producing the, the Metallica's Black Album. Um, I would love to work with, with a Jürgen or a Mutt Lang, but my experiences of, of a Pete Holmes or a Dennis show that if you want to get better, it's really, really going to hurt and you're going to go to some very uncomfortable places. And Rick Savage, in his in his his lovely South Yorkshire Sheffield accent, which hasn't vanished despite billions of record sales and despite having Ferraris literally coming out of his backside, pointed out that the making of Hysteria took four years, and it was horrific. Every single day was horrific. It was never good enough. It was never ever. Good. Joe Elliott used to refuse to sing because because. They would literally take after after eight hours of him singing constantly. They would take one syllable as being good enough for the record, and that was over a four-year period. He said it was horrific, but the end result is hysteria, which is which is remains. It's not a hair metal thing. It is it is a modern classic of music. It is a found sound production of the highest order, and I would say to someone like Josh, having listened to Andy Hodge and having listened to other people who've worked with Jürgen, yes it is horrific, yes it is hard yes it is relentlessly demanding but it makes you better and it's also what it takes to make a hysteria, to make a revolver, to make an Olympic gold medalist
1: Yeah I I don't know, I mean what i put it another way there is this utterly intangible quality that coaches love to talk about which is called coachability, Um, which I would dismiss in many cases as the ability of an athlete to manage upwards. Um, But coachability is a real thing. It is the ability not only of an athlete to work hard and have talent, but when a coach says you need to do this, they can then do it and they can make a real go of doing it and then they can give real feedback and say you know what this is working like this i've taken these things from this idea i think what we need to do is go this way and if apparently you look at the greats of sport they were all immensely coachable human beings um But coachability also at a basic level is getting on with and not pissing off your coaches. And it's an ability that I have
0: in, in teaspoons. Um, No, no, you and Dennis were like crossed fingers. You were simpatico. You, you had coffee and danishes together. Indeed.
1: Indeed. And I went around to his house and babysit, sat his children and looked, no, I didn't. I am I am a profoundly uncoachable individual. I hate being told what to do. And I know for a fact that one of my biggest disadvantages as a human being is I think I can work it out for myself. And I usually can. It just takes me four or five years longer than it might have otherwise had to. Um.
0: Speaking of which, speaking of which, how is actually tying your own shoelaces coming? Or is Haley still doing it for you?
1: I've got there. I've got there. Okay.
0: okay. Just and, you
1: know, to, to be honest, it, it took me, I would say, about 40 years of my life to, re- it took me, I think it took me about 38 years of my life to realise just how bloody obstreperous I could be and difficult when it came to people who knew what the hell they were talking about telling me what to do to try and make me better. And it took me at least 41 years of my life to actually try and be a more coachable human being. And I think there's quite possibly, um, and again, I'm interpreting things on limited facts, Josh Bogowski might not be a particularly coachable human being. And I'm also gonna say, that kind of bullheaded, mindless independence also does lead to some remarkably good results in its own way, but it's not a fun way to get there.
0: Steve Redgrave, Steve
1: Redgrave. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Steve Redgrave. You know, it's own thing. You know, people were, people were actually having to bully him into his gold medal winning cox four. He wanted to go and be a single scholar.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: bloody idiot.
0: So the so the Olympic wash up, uh, as I believe it's now called, you know, the washing up afterwards. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't what we're accustomed to, but what we what we have become accustomed to are, are are rare, very rare events that take a huge amount of work, timing, opportunity, and also to a certain degree, look and being on the right side of the margins. It's not all doom and gloom. We are rowers. We don't really bottle, um, you know, bad outings or hard work. So we can't come again.
1: Yeah, my my takes are that James Cracknell is still God. Obviously. Um, Our wannabe Olympians really need to get out and row grim heads in grim weather like they mean it. And, yeah, I mean, and on to Paris, basically. Fair enough. This is the next stop for, for all these people who came forth. This was your first Olympics. Apart from the lightweights, who I think it's their last Olympics. Sorry, lightweights.
0: There you go. Into every life a little rain must fall, and right now it's falling on the lightweights. So that was us. Uh, this has not been edited. So, so if there's anything questionable that we've said that I usually would have taken out or run past our lawyers, it hasn't been. Um, we're just going to throw this up quite literally like a like a kebab on the floor of the Olympics after a heavy night and um, move on to the next episode.
1: <laughs> like a microwave pizza outside the Catherine wheel in Henley.
0: Yes, Indeed like after a night of dancing with millionaire heiresses at Mahiki's yes
1: indeed uh right just gonna call
0: that one day aren't we I think so we're not even gonna hold Bowside's head under until the bubble stop coming up we're just gonna push off and go up about our Sunday goodbye farewell <laughs>